Praise God. Have they uh, cut a CD yet? <laughs> when that happens, I want to. I want to copy. That was outstanding. Praise the Lord. It's hard to follow that. I have to almost have sit down and have them sing it again. <laughs> Turn your Bibles, if you would, please, to Revelation chapter twenty-two. Let's read eight verses together, although I'm going to be referring to a number of verses this morning on the theme of paradise found. Revelation 22, verses 1 to 8. And he showed me a river of the water of life, clear as crystal, coming from the throne of God and of the Lamb in the middle of its street. And on the other side of the river was the tree of life, bearing 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And there will no longer be any curse, and the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his bondservants shall serve him. And they shall see his face, and his name shall be on their foreheads. And there shall no longer be any night, and they shall not have need of the light or of the lamp, nor of the light of the sun, because the Lord God shall illuminate them, and they shall reign forever and ever. And he said to me, these words are faithful and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, sent his angel to show to his bondservants the things which must shortly take place. And behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who heeds the words of the prophecy of this book. And I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed me. These things. Praise God. John Milton is a famous author, and he wrote the uh, very famous book called Paradise Lost. And I want to talk about paradise as found in the scriptures and what we're going to cover today in the Word of God. Cindy and I just returned on Friday night from our dream vacation, our 25th wedding anniversary in the islands of Maui and Oahu. That's probably why you see some of this color on the face. It's not a fake tan of cream, but uh, you all look so pale, frankly. <laughs> and for that matter, I was in a church last Sunday where the custom there is uh, even the person speaking was wearing a Hawaiian shirt. So I'm feeling a little bit warm up here today with this shirt and tie and jacket. But we're back in California, so that's, that's how it is here in California. But we had a wonderful time. And you knew, I knew it was going to be a wonderful time when, as soon as we got into the rental car, and I said, I wonder if there's any Christian radio on these islands. And I turned on the radio, and I heard, declaring the praises of Jesus Christ, right on the radio, just like that. And I thought, that's awesome. Twelve days, as I said, six in Oahu and six on, on Maui. And those twelve days went so fast. And on the Friday night, we just got back on Friday, I was sitting on the beach as we were overlooking the, the Pacific Ocean. And by the way, how many have been to Hawaii? So you kind of understand what I'm talking about. Well, good number. If you haven't been, Lord willing, start praying. <laughs> start praying and asking the Lord if it's his will for you to go. <laughs> because as we were overlooking the, uh, the ocean as the sun was setting after having just a wonderful meal, we were sort of slightly discouraged and, frankly, still are a little bit low from coming back. And um, we were thinking of the 
cliches that I wanted to say when Cindy was saying she didn't want to leave. I was thinking of the phrases, time flies, you know, when you're having fun. That didn't seem right to really say, or all good things come to an end. And they, uh, <laughs> That didn't seem right either. The Hawaii trip ended. But I was thinking about on a number of occasions while we were on the beaches in Waikiki jogging or listening to some Christian music on my little nano, was as the Hawaii trip ended, but heaven won't. As great and as awesome as this vacation was, heaven is incredibly better. And that was something that just uh, was something that kind of permeated my mind the 12 days off and on as we were traveling and seeing all the wonderful sights. And it kind of spurred this message while over on the islands to share with you this morning. So this isn't an old uh, recycled message. This is pretty fresh from the uh, Pacific. And so I want to just talk about what is heaven? Some of this is probably a refresher course for some of you. Maybe it's new for some others. But what does the Bible say heaven is? First of all, it's a place. John 14:2. Jesus said that he was going. He told the disciples that he was going to prepare a place. Psalm 84, the psalmist says, How lovely is thy dwelling place, O Lord. Some would say, erroneously so, that it is something other than a place. But it is a place. It's not a, some kind of euphoric kind of spirit that heaven is what you make it or heaven is what you think it is. It is an actual location. And it's nice to have everything in place, isn't it, when you go on a trip? I wish Joan was here today. I think she told me she was going to be away, but she prepared the package for us, for Cindy and I. And it was nice to know when the itinerary was sent and so forth that everything was in place as we would understand it to be. And it was nice to know that there were no arrangements that we had to still make or everything was pretty much right down to the final T, all as it said on the itinerary sheet, and that was nice. None of us want to hear when we go away on a vacation or on some kind of a travel arrangement these words, do we? Um, no, I'm, I'm sorry. I don't show your names on the reservation. Uh, no, I don't see you booked on this flight. Are you sure? What's your name again? Uh, we don't want to hear that. We don't want any surprises. Jesus said to the disciples in John 14:2, he said, In my Father's house are many dwelling places. And if it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, notice the word place, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Other translations refer to the uh, references, dwelling places as mansions. You live around these parts. You go up some of the streets in the back roads here. Cindy and I, matter of fact, we're going on, uh, maybe Lord willing today, are going to go on Iron Horse Trail. And you go past here and you continue on the trail. You see quite a few mansions. And often we kind of wonder when we see those, maybe you think, you know, I wonder, I wonder who, I wonder who lives in that. I wonder who lives there. The Lord Jesus Christ, in his grace, says that he is preparing mansions. There's many mansions, and he's preparing this place for us. And the awesome thing is, is we're not deserving of it. And yet he's doing it for us. 
as an act of his grace. You know, when you're thinking of a place that you want to go to, we know, Lord willing, we say that, and wisely so, Lord willing, we'll get to so-and-so. And we trust God for it. We get on that plane that he'll get us there safely. To be honest, I'm glad I wasn't on that other United flight a couple nights ago where the guy was a deranged passenger was trying to open up one of the in-flight doors while it was up 38,000 feet. I'm glad I wasn't on that flight. But I'm glad that there were three Secret Service agents that were and tackled that guy, and that was the end of that. We're fortunate when we get in our destinations in our cars, aren't we? And I trust we thank God for it from the place that we leave from to the place where we're going. But we know that ultimately this is, this is all in God's control. And sometimes we don't get to the places where we hoped we would here on this earth for one reason or another. But the wonderful thing about this place is that the Bible says for every believer, it is an absolute certainty that we are going there. There's absolutely no doubt. There's so many verses of Scripture. One was one of my first verses I memorized was 1 John 5.13, where the apostle says, These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God in order that you may know that you have eternal life. This absolute certainty that the moment that we received Christ, we had entered into this a relationship where we're promised eternal life from that moment on. And that we're ultimately going to be going to this place, heaven, where we're going to see him face to face. And if you're a Christian this morning, there doesn't have to be any doubt about that. There doesn't have to be any shred of worry that we trust, not in our feelings, but what in the scriptures tell us, that the eternal life that we have is an absolute certainty. And that's a wonderful thing. Not only is is it a place, but it's the dwelling place of God. We see that in Revelation 22. I'm also thinking of Deuteronomy 26, where the prophet says, Look down from thy holy habitation from heaven and bless thy people, Israel. Look down from thy holy habitation from heaven and bless thy people, Israel. This is a place where God dwells. And as I said and alluded to just a few minutes ago, when you're looking maybe at some large mansion on some hill far away, If you're like me, you kind of wonder, you go, I wonder who it is that lives there. Who is that person? We were arriving at the airport, or we were arriving back in SFO, and these uh, eight or so folks who knew each other on the plane, that's including their kids and all, when they arrived, we were waiting for our daughter to come and pick us up. And these folks, I don't know who they were, but they were waiting for three limousines to come and pick them up. (laughs) They were big, huge limousines. And I said, I wonder who they are. They look like just common folk. I didn't have the courage to go up and say, just who are you, folks? (laughs) God, the almighty God who created heaven and earth, he lives in this place. And the amazing thing is, is he says, you know what? I want you to come. I'm inviting you to come into this home of mine and to dwell here and to live here forever. The amazing thing is, on the flip side of that, on this earth, while we're still here, he says, you know what? I want to come in and I want to dwell inside you. And I want to live in your home, in your heart, and in your life. And wherever you go, I want to be there with you. When you walk out that front door, I'm going with you. To wherever, whatever place you're going to, I'm going there. Whether it's school, work, or whatever, I'm going. And then he says on the flip side of that, you know what? I'm preparing this place for you, and you're invited. And you're coming if you know the Lord Jesus Christ.
What is heaven? It's a place. It's the dwelling place of God, and it's also the believer's final home. I don't know how many times you've moved around. Lots, maybe. It says the average person, I think, in this area moves about every three years. The Bible says that in the meantime, we're on assignment while we're here. The Bible says that we're ambassadors. This is not our country as Christians. We have a heavenly home. He's placed us here in America, and we're thankful for it. But we're on assignment as ambassadors. You think about an ambassador, and you think, you know what? I can't think of any ambassador that is incredibly ashamed or doesn't want to in any way kind of represent his country. That's why he's there. That's why she's there. You and I have been called to be ambassadors, and I trust this morning that we are absolutely humbled and thrilled to be representing the Lord Jesus Christ and having him be the one that we ultimately want to see receive all the glory and praise. Paul really said it very well in Philippians 1.21. His philosophy in life was, was for me to live is Christ. To die is gain. That was his sum total of his life. For me to live, it's Christ. To die is gain. Because then I'm going to that better place to be with him. He didn't live for money. He didn't live for popularity. And he didn't live for travel. That wasn't his God. That wasn't his purpose for living. There's a song that I, uh, was one of the songs I was listening to on the iPod, which thankfully I figured out how to work before I went. Because thanks for kids, you know, teenagers that can show you all these things and how to download this music and everything. But it was simply this. It's a Fernando Ortega song, and it was Give Me Jesus. He said, in the morning when I rise, in the morning when I rise, in the morning when I rise, give me Jesus. Give me Jesus, give me Jesus. You can have all this world, but give me Jesus. That was Paul's philosophy. And I'm sure Paul also felt and could understand these words if he were here today with us. When I'm alone, and when I'm alone, give me Jesus. You can have all this world, but give me Jesus. And then his last lyric, and it's a very slow song that gets you totally thinking about what you're hearing. And it's simply this. When I come to die, when I come to die, when I come to die, give me Jesus. Give me Jesus. Give me Jesus. You can have all this world. And he repeats that a number of times. You can have all this world, but give me Jesus. And that was the Apostle Paul's philosophy. His priority was to love and to worship and serve the Lord Jesus and his kingdom. He also said these wonderful words, didn't he? Remember in Philippians 3, I'm sure this is some of your, you know this verse by heart, Philippians 3, 21, verses 20 and 21. 20 specifically says, For our citizenship is in heaven, for which we eagerly wait. Are you eagerly waiting? For a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, for all who know the Lord Jesus Christ, our final home, where we're all going to be together one day, is heaven. That's going to be our final address. And you know what? There's going to be no email addresses up there either. That's our final address where we're going to dwell. And we'll be together. 
Although someone has said to dwell above with those we love will be our theme in glory, but to dwell below with those we know, well, that's another story. <laughs> we won't have any of those issues in heaven with one another that we're working through now that help us to become more like the Lord Jesus Christ. One of the uh, wonderful things about our trip, we met some great people. My wife, thankfully, could talk to the dead, and they, she would get a reaction, I think, from them. I mean, she's one of these people that as soon as she gets on the bus, she gets on the plane, she just figures out a way to start talking in a nice way, not in an annoying way that just keeps going and going and going. We met a lot of different people, but the, probably the most, without a doubt, fantastic encounter we had was with a man named Ken, Ken Hawkridge. He was sitting in the airport in Oahu before we got on the flight to Maui, and that was about a 20-minute flight. And he was sitting there, and I saw he was reading the Bible. This was the Friday before Easter. And I went up to him, and I said, oh, I see you're reading. I looked down, of course, and I said, I see you're reading Romans 16. He goes, yes, I am. I go, that's a fantastic chapter. And we started to talk about that. And I go, I trust you're a believer. He said, yes, I am. And I said, so am I. One thing led to another, and it turned out that he was an elder in a chapel, only one of three in the Hawaiian Islands. He was an elder at one of the assemblies in Oahu. He was going over to Maui to speak to the elderly at a retirement home on Easter Sunday morning. We got on the plane and started to talk. I, we had seat number, or one number one, so we had to board first. He was number five. So people one, two, three, four, five in that order boarded. And so Cindy and I were on, and there was another seat, and I just plopped my hand down on that seat. I wanted him to sit next to us. And people kept coming by, and a couple said, is this seat saved? And I kind of, you know, I could tell I'm not too happy about that. And I said, yeah. So he came and sat down, and he went on to tell this most wonderful story where I was, we were up at 30, I don't know what elevation we were up in height because of such a short flight down. But I tell you, I was on cloud nine after being with this brother. He told us in the short time we had, and we got his email address, thankfully, and hopefully, Lord willing, he'll come back to California for a visit, that he was in his late 50s. And I said, what do you do? And he said, I'm a paramedic. And that kind of caught my interest, obviously, in the, uh, the work I do. And I thought, it's kind of interesting, a paramedic in the late 50s. Usually people who are paramedics are in their 20s as a stepping stone to a job in the fire service or something like that or in nursing or doctor. He said, when I was in the fifth grade, I'd been held back two years. I was in the third grade, sorry. He was in the third grade, should have been in fifth. He was, and these are his words, diagnosed as retarded. He could not do his math. He could not do his additions, his subtractions. He sat there and he said, Lord Jesus, you have got to help me. He got 100%. He went up and turned it in. The teacher thought he'd cheated. She said, take another test. He did another one. He got 100%. Dyslexic. Became a paramedic at the age 30, had been doing it for 28 years, was voted last year as the paramedic for the state of Hawaii, has never in the 28 years as a paramedic lost one patient in his ambulance, and he's with AMR on an ALS rig. Even a lady who tried to kill herself who fell nine stories from a hotel in Waikiki landed on her feet rather than on her head. Story after story. Two years ago, he's there, and all of a sudden, he feels a pop in the back of his head, and he had a stroke. And he said, and he was a a comedian on top of it all, 
But he just said, and he, he repeated the words. He said, I'm having a stroke, he told his driver. And the driver thought he was joking and started laughing at him. And he said, get me to the hospital. He did his own IV, got a transport to the hospital, and then God re- healed him, and he's still working for a major R today. And the whole 20-minute flight, I was just hoping the flight would keep circling around Maui. <laughs> and we wouldn't have to land. And he kept saying in all of it, glory to God. Glory to God. And he wasn't just parroting it. He was just saying it in such, such zeal and such fire in his late 50s, still loving the Lord Jesus. And frankly, that may be one of the highlight of the trip, to be honest. I've told that story as many times as I can to as many people. But this is the thing. We're going to be with believers up in heaven. Isn't it a wonderful thing until we get there that we can be a blessing to one another while we're here on the earth? That we be an encouragement to one another. And that people, when they leave our presence, they're refreshed. They're challenged. And they see something of the Lord in us. Isn't that a wonderful thing, if that's the case? Without a doubt, though, the most important thing about this place, heaven, is, is that the one we love best is going to be there. I love the verse in Peter, 1 Peter 8, chapter 1, verse 8, where Peter says, And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. That's what the psalmist said in Psalm 73, didn't he? Whom have I in heaven but thee? And besides thee, I desire nothing on earth. Is that where we are today? You can have all this world, but give me Jesus. The psalmist said in Psalm 84, Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. Where is this place, heaven? Well, there's no longer lat, but the Bible seems to make some references clearly that it's up. Jesus, it says in John 17, 1, he before his great priestly prayer, he was lifting up his eyes to heaven. Lifting up his eyes. In Acts 1, verse 10, remember, they saw, they said, why are you looking up in the sky? Hebrews 6, 19 and 20 tells us that heaven is not far. That there's only a veil between. To be absent here is to be present there. Jesus said, to that thief on the cross, didn't he? He said, today, you'll be with me in paradise. It's not this long journey. It's a mystery, really. Scripture says in Hebrews 6, This hope we have is an anchor of the soul, a hope, both, a hope both sure and steadfast, and one which enters within the veil where Jesus has entered as a forerunner for us. And as I said, where is heaven? Well, I don't know exactly. I know very little, frankly, other than what the Scripture says. But I know this. It's where the Lord Jesus Christ is. And he is, without a doubt, going to be the center of the attraction. Scripture says he is at the right hand of God, having gone into heaven. Another verse says, For Christ did not enter a holy place made with hands, a mere copy of the true one, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Isn't that comforting? When we arrived in uh, Oahu, there were a couple of ladies there to greet us with the lays. 
It was nice. That was arranged. They're supposed to be there to greet us. And so sure enough, they were. But how better, how much better to have God there representing us. He's going to greet us there. That's why that's, that one song, probably some of you are familiar with it. I've often wondered if Randy knows this song. I can only imagine. I was almost tempted to call him a couple of nights ago and just say, Randy, can you sing this song? Maybe sometime he can if he hasn't. I can only imagine what it will be like when I walk by your side. I can only imagine what my eyes will see when your face is before me. I can only imagine. Surrounded by your glory, what will my heart feel? Will I dance for you, Jesus, or in awe of you be still? Will I stand in your presence, or to my knees will I fall? Will I sing hallelujah? Will I be able to speak at all? I can only imagine. Don't you wonder what it's going to be like? You can only imagine. What's it like? What's heaven like? Well, I'll say this about Oahu and Maui. I totally underestimated what those islands were like. Cindy wanted to go six years ago. I said, ah, no. You got, you got sun here in California. We got beaches in Half Moon Bay. I underestimated it. Well, the scripture says that it is so glorious, this place heaven, that God uses negatives in describing it so that we might not know what it's completely like. He only tells us so much. But what he does tell us in Revelation, looking at verse 21, chapter 21, actually, one page over, verse 27, and nothing unclean and no one who practice abomination and lying shall ever come into it but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. There'll be no sin. Can you imagine a place with no sin? All the sins and all the struggles and all those encumbrances and all those weights that sometimes are just dragging us, as it says in Hebrews, they're all going to be gone. There'll be no sin. No sin in your life. No sin in your wife or husband's or children's life if they know Christ. No sin. Bible says there will be no curse. Revelation 22, verse 3. And there shall no longer be any curse. God's curse was removed, wasn't it? Because of Christ's work for us. I think of that verse in Galatians in the third chapter. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law having become a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. There'll be no curse because of what the Lord Jesus has done. Revelation 21, verse 4, And he shall wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there shall no longer be any death, there shall no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. No sorrow. And that's because of the man of sorrows, isn't it? There'll be no sorrows. You think of the heartaches. We have them every day in certain ways. Bigger ones, smaller ones. But there'll be no sorrows of any kind, shape, or form. There'll be no pain. No more sickness. 
There will be absolutely perfect health in these glorified bodies we're in. There will be no need for nurses. There will be no need for hospitals. No need for paramedics. The kind of jobs that a lot of us have now today will be redundant. would be unemployed because they're not going to be necessary in heaven. Revelation 22, verse 4, and they shall see his face. We're going to see his face. The separation that we now experience and the fact that we can't see him face to face, we will. There'll be absolutely no separation. There'll be no goodbyes in heaven with those whom know the Lord Jesus and trust those whom we love. Revelation 22, 5, as I was reading, said, there shall no longer be any night. And they shall not have need of the light of a lamp nor of the light of the sun, because the Lord God shall illuminate them. Isn't that amazing? There'll be absolutely no darkness. Revelation 21, verse 4, it tells us as I was reading, there shall no longer be any death. Death is forever dethroned. No longer has a place. No obituary columns. No morgues. No hearses. No funerals, no cemeteries. Well, who's in heaven? You know, it's amazing. I think of all the people. I have to be honest. I'm a homebody. Um, although having gone on this trip now, I don't. I don't know, Lord willing. I don't want to be a homebody any longer. Frankly, I hope once a year that God gives us another place somewhere else to go. And frankly, I'll go back, and um, maybe meet Ken for that matter in Oahu. But I think of all the people that just frankly live to travel. They just live for it. And, and the, really the, the kind of the, the thing that's their kind of like um, way that they cope is to plan for the next trip. And when they get back, and then they just kind of wait for the next one. And yet, you don't hear a whole lot of folk, do you, that are just saying, this is some, this is some place that I really want to go to. I, I wonder if some of them know about it. Maybe that's our job, isn't it, as ambassadors, to tell them about this place, heaven, that is wonderfully important to be ready for and to prepare for. But who's there? Well, the triune God and a host of angels we know, they're there. And wonderfully and gloriously saved sinners are there. You know, when we had to, went on this trip, you know, we had to save. Like you, when you go on a trip, you've got to save. You kind of prepare for it. I worked probably uh, overtime in January, February, and March to kind of pay for at least half of it, maybe. And that's a blessing. And being in Hawaii, I'll tell you, nothing's free. Very little is free. Gasoline is, if you just think of your brothers and sisters in Hawaii today, they're paying about 3.55 a gallon. We're 3.03 here. A gallon of milk is about $8 a gallon. The price of housing on Maui is 650000 Went up 100000 in the last year. Their wages are about 50% less than what I make in the same job. We saved for our trip. We had to pay. Didn't come free. This trip to heaven, though, you can't pay for it. You can't work it. You can't do anything to get there on your own effort. It's free. It's absolutely free. Your boarding is free because of the fact that somebody paid the price, the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know what? It's a one-way trip, isn't it? 
Ours is round trip. Most trips we take, I trust, are round trip tickets. We've got to come back to where we are and where God has us. This is a one-way trip. And we have been redeemed by the blood. We who have been born again, we who have been converted, we, as the scripture says, whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life, and all nations and tribes and tongues, as it says in Revelation 5, are going to be represented there. All because of his doing. Makes you think about, though, who's not there, doesn't it? That should burden our hearts. We think about this place. We think about this glorious Savior that we're going to be with. This is, like I said, and this is so hard for us, isn't it? This is a trip. This is a location. This is somewhere we're going, where we're going to be forever and ever and ever. And any place you've ever been is like that in comparison to what heaven is going to be like and what we're going to see and how we're going to worship and how we're going to praise God and how we're going to just be glorifying his name for all that he's done. And yet there are going to be people who are not there. We know the scripture says, in fact, that the road is narrow, isn't it? And few find it. But the road to destruction or to hell is broad, and many are those who are on it. Those who have rejected Christ will not be there. Revelation 21, verse 9, brings this out. Revelation 20, verse 5 as well. And also, you know who's not going to be there are empty professors. I'm not talking about professors who are a professor in a college. But Matthew 7 talks about those who profess to know the Lord Jesus. But he says to them, depart from me, I never knew you. Those who clearly reject and those who have professed. But it's a false profession. It's not real. I remember I made three of those false professions before I was genuinely born again. I remember one day in sincerity, I was 12 years old. And I said to my girlfriend then, Cindy, I think, was kind of like my girlfriend then. Even back then, she was my only girlfriend. Um, I said, I'll go up if you do. Didn't know what I was really doing. Didn't understand. Didn't understand what it meant to surrender my life to Christ. Made a profession of faith, and there was no reality to it. Jesus says to those folks, he goes, I never knew you. He doesn't say I once knew you. He said, I never knew you. I trust we're not in that camp today. We're not in the camp of those who are not going. If you are, if you say, you know what, this is, this is a place. This is a God who I want to know and who I want to be with forever. If, if you're in that situation and you're saying, I'm not sure if I'm going here. I'm not sure if I'm going to heaven. I'm not sure if I were to die tonight. This is where I'd go. Come see me after. Come talk to Adol. Come talk to the other elders. Talk to whomever you know here and find out. Don't delay. Scripture says today is the day of salvation. I think of a, a song, another one that I was listening to while we were in Hawaii that says, We will dance. It says this, simply this, Sing a song of celebration. This is for believers. Lift up a shout of praise, for the bridegroom will come, the glorious one, and oh, we'll look on his face, and we're going to go to a much better place. We will dance on the streets that are golden, the glorious bride and the great son of man from every tongue and tribe and nation will join in the song of the Lamb. So dance with all your might, lift up your hands and clap for joy. The time's drawing near when he will appear.
And oh, we're going to stand by his side, a strong, pure, spotless bride. What a day, huh? What a hope. In time, may we be those who would have the motivation that would say, better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we want to thank you that you are preparing a place for us. We're looking forward, Lord, to the day when we're going to see you face to face. Meantime, God, we pray that while we're here, if you're not to come back here first or if we're to go to you, we just pray that we'll be shining lights to you, for you, Lord. We pray that we will be those who remember that our citizenship is in heaven and that we'll be busy about the king's business representing you in a way that would bring you much honor and praise. Lord, you know our busy lives. You know what we're involved in. We pray that we would not be in any way involved in the devil's work, any way involved in ways that are just undermining our faith and undermining our testimony for you. We pray that we'll fill this place or we'll leave this place, Lord, filled with worship, filled with praise and adoration and just thanksgiving for all that you've done for us and that you continue to do. We bless your name, Lord, and we love you in Jesus' name. Amen.